Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of a melting hunk of uninformed apricot jello to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the reification fallacy, also known as misplaced concreteness and hypostatization. So the reification fallacy is, yeah. uh, as as all Latin scholars will be able to tell immediately, exactly. as we know, yeah. <laughs> about making things. So res, yeah. thing, <laughs> facare, making, yeah. and yeah. it's about making abstract concepts or abstract things into concrete things usually things that have some form of kind of intent or agency or emotion to them like an uninformed apricot jello (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah. similar to that yeah Um, Yeah. (laughs) so uh, this is a kind of thing that is done in literature and film and things like that uh, and in fact sometimes just in rhetoric Mm -hmm. in general when people are making uh, using metaphors yeah Saying something like the sea is angry, right? Yeah. In most cases, the per- the speaker isn't mm-hmm. literally saying the sea has the capacity to feel emotions. They're they're just using it to get the the listener to feel a particular yep. thing. And in literature, it's called a pathetic fallacy, which is a weird name because it's neither pathetic nor right. a fallacy. Both those words have <laughs> have changed yeah. meaning over time. So so pathetic is being used in terms of pathos, emotion, yep. and the fallacy there is just a, a falsehood. So you're using a right. a false way of looking at something to invoke emotion. Is it a bit like also that kind of uh, the personification of uh, animals or concepts, you know, when something is given almost human attributes as part of a... Disneyfication of a mouse, for instance, is that reification or is yeah, that anthropomorphism? There you go. That's the word I was struggling to find. Where something yeah. is imbued with human attributes, it can be just the the normal, acceptable rhetorical version of this, and and essentially just metaphorical. Right. Where it becomes a logical fallacy is where that is then used to either literally say that this thing is real and has emotions and or or intent in some ways as as some of the examples we'll see um or that that metaphor is kind of lent on overly heavily and used to support a point that it shouldn't really support doesn't have the strength to support so our first example from trump comes from his first interview after losing the election talking to maria bartiromo if i wasn't here Antifa would be running this country right now. They'd be running the country. They always like to blame the radical right. It's not the radical right. It's the radical left, and it's largely Antifa and groups like this, and nobody wants to even talk about them. Nobody wants to talk about what they're doing in Portland and what they're doing in Chicago and what they're doing in New York. And they club people over the heads when nobody's looking, and then nobody talks about it. Wow. Wow, there's a reason that people aren't talking about this stuff. It's because it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not happening. And nobody's looking when, you know, if you club someone over the head when no one's looking, 
Does it make a sound? No, no, uh. but they, well, no. But Antifa, the whole notion of Antifa, yeah, club somebody over the head. Yeah, so Antifa uh. would be running the country apparently if it wasn't for Trump. Antifa, of course, is not an organisation. No, it is an idea. Yeah, it is anti-fascism. Yeah, there are people who kind of identify with it strongly, and and you know, will carry out things in the name of Antifa, essentially, and, and you know, protest or, in some cases, um, commit violence. It isn't an organisation, but it is held up, it is kind of suggested as an organisation by the right wing, by Trump especially. It's imbued with intent and an organised system of things that they want to happen or, or things that they do as a group when... In fact, I think Trump tried to get it designated as a terrorist organisation, which is difficult yeah. for m- many reasons. The two main ones being they're not terrorists and it isn't an organisation. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just a large concept that kind of... Uh, this this notion of people who are against fascism, who are anti-fascists, he's tried to make yeah. them into a thing. He's, tr- he's tried to concrete concretify them. <laughs> You know, can get them to become a thing. It's almost—it's like the uh, end of Ghostbusters, where they go, "Yeah, clear your mind, clear your mind," and then they go, "Ah, the demon has been named," mm-hmm. and you know, the Stay Puft Man arrives. So this this concept of the end of the world becomes personified. They concretify it. If if marshmallow could be called concrete, <laughs> into a thing. It's like a straw man. The whole Antifa thing is to make is to create a man-shaped thing out of this concept so that you can then say, well, they are bad. They would be doing this. It's a useful tool on the part of somebody trying to coalesce protest against something by coalescing people who are against you into one big mob. And so there's this, there's this thing that will hit people over there for the club. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you ascribe them those negative connotations and, and negative activities and and that means that all or many of the people who are against you you can accuse of being part of this organization that is mm. you've already proved by saying it previously yeah. generally <laughs> yeah. negative and criminal and and problematic. So, yeah. Yeah. So our second example comes from a time when there were some uh, forest fires and Trump sat down with some scientists and, and forestry people and talked to them, which was just ill-advised from the get-go, really. And we're seeing this warming trend make our summers warmer, but also our winters warmer as well. So I think one area of mutual agreement and priority is vegetation management. But I think we want to work with you to really recognize the changing climate and what it means to our forests and actually work together with that science. That science is going to be key because if we if we ignore that science and sort of put our head in the sand and think it's all about vegetation management, we're not going to succeed together protecting Californians. Okay. It'll start getting cooler. I you wish just, You just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> hey, well, I don't think science knows, actually. Tom? God, what a frustrating person to have a conversation with. Just, I mean, the, the guy is just <laughs> desperately saying, we really, really need to listen to the collected... Yeah. work of the scientists in this area and 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 what this is telling us all of the information that has been gathered by people who are experts and know what they're talking about and his response is just like yeah they don't know anything 
Science doesn't know no. anything, or doesn't doesn't know what I know. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> and it, and it will get cooler. Yeah, it will get cooler. You know, and I don't think science knows the fact that all of these collected people around the table are saying all of this stuff, and then all he does is dismiss it by making it into one person. He makes it into a person who he can out opinion. So, you know, science doesn't know. I know. It's going to get cooler. Believe me, I don't think science knows. Science doesn't know. Absolutely. Thomas Massey, the Republican representative who is kind of making a, a run at Louis Gohmert for being the stupidest congressperson. Uh, it's just uh, he's an awful, <laughs> awful person and and also an idiot. And he tweeted, you mustn't question Fauci for he is science. There you go. Yeah, and accompanied that with a a kind of meme, I guess, a a picture of a hand pressing down on people, uh, with a quote saying, "To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise." Uh, and then it says Voltaire. It isn't Voltaire, but yeah, there we go. Yeah, and Fauci yeah. isn't science. You also are allowed to criticise him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing has happened to anyone who has criticised him. What what you're discouraged from doing is criticising him if you know shit all about what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Because he knows what he's talking about, yeah. and you will lose, like Rand Paul has found out time yeah. and time and time yeah. again. <laughs> and, and actually, Fauci works in the, in the uh, discipline whereby it, it encourages... Criticism, when you kind of say, "Oh, actually, I think what you've done, the scientific method that you've yeah. applied there uh, doesn't stand, doesn't hold up," or "I think the the results that you've got don't don't actually lead from the experiment that you're doing," or "Let me go and do your experiment and repeat it and see if I get the same results," and and that kind of stuff. But you, so you, in fact, you must question Fauci, absolutely, for he, if he is science, because he's a scientist. But you can only question him on the same basis. You yes. can only say, I don't think your scientific method works because I've repeated your experiment and I can't get the same results. I yeah. think somehow there's there's a problem there. You know, if you're an idiot, if you're an awful idiot, you can't just kind of criticise him for that. Yeah, Massey's tweet is quite a good example of fractal wrongness because, first of all, Fauci isn't science because that's nonsense. Science isn't it isn't a thing. It's a a method of finding stuff out, and you absolutely not only can but must criticise the results of what has been found out through the scientific method because that's how science is done. Yeah, as you said, it's it is all about science is all about scientists critiquing each other's work trying to replicate it or prove it wrong. And that happens frequently, and, and it's part of the peer review process that is key to the the journals that are all about science and and showing the outcome of the scientific process. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, in the fractal wrongness of this tweet, <laughs> the his quote from Voltaire, the to learn who rules over yeah. you, simply find out yeah. who you're not allowed to criticise, is not from Voltaire at all. No. <laughs> It is actually right, yeah. from, or kind of a similar thing, is from a guy called Kevin Alfred Strom, who is a convicted paedophile and American yeah. neo-Nazi. So not quite what he was going for <laughs> in quoting 
respected thinker Voltaire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's that it's that other internet meme, isn't it? Where so you can't trust anything you read on the internet, and then it says Henry the Eighth. Yeah. So in the Trump example, when he says science doesn't know, actually the 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 forestry guy kind of did it a little bit as well because he he was talking about science, right? Saying you know that this we have to work with the science, and in that respect he was talking about we have to understand the outcome of the scientific method that the, mm-hmm. the the output of all the work that the, you know the scientists have been doing in this area that's fine because he was using it in that context when trump said it'll get cooler out of nowhere and based on nothing <laughs> he said i i wish science agreed with you which is possibly taking it then a little bit right too far because it's suggesting science can agree yeah yeah but arguably he's still using it yeah, in the yeah. sense of yeah. of you know i wish that the 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 collected work of all of the scientists in the area yeah you know was backing up what you're saying it doesn't yeah which is the short and the short version of that is the science yeah, yeah. i wish that the science could back that up yeah yeah, yeah. And so, in a way, he kind of lets Trump in. Yeah. So it's so when Trump then says, "Well, science doesn't know," suggesting that science can know stuff. And I think, as as um, Dara O'Brien, the Irish stand-up, said, uh, when people say science doesn't know everything, when they're trying to kind of argue in favour of homeopathy and stuff like that, uh, Dara O'Brien said, "Yeah, well, science knows it doesn't know everything. Otherwise, it would stop." <laughs> Yeah, because the scientists who are doing <laughs> the science think there's still lots of stuff we want to yep. find out. Yep, exactly. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics corner. So what I've chosen this week is actually this idea, the concrete idea of that unelectability as a thing, uh, which, which came from the whole Corbyn project, as it's now called, the fact that there was this notion that Corbyn was unelectable. There was this thing called unelectability and Corbyn had it. And everybody said it, despite the fact that he won two leadership contests. So the first Labour Party leadership election that was held in 2015, when he was a late addition to the to the roster of candidates, he won by 251,417 votes. Uh, basically got 59% of the vote and became the leader. So like a year later there was a vote of no confidence in his leadership. So there had to be another leadership election because they disagreed with his stance and basically socialism. There was a vote internally in the Labour Party, a vote of no confidence in his leadership, and there was another contest that ran. Corbyn ran in it. Owen Smith ran too, and he led this opinion that Corbyn was unelectable. Owen Smith, the leader's former work and pensions policy chief, joined Angela Eagle in saying that they believe the current leader, much criticised amid the Brexit referendum fallout, is unelectable. He is not a man who can lead us into the next election and win for Labour. And working people in this country cannot afford to have a Labour Party that isn't presenting a powerful opposition and a credible alternative government. He also added incidentally that Corbyn would be actively deselecting those people that didn't agree with him rather than uniting the party which is a fate that actually befell Corbyn himself under Keir Starmer's leadership. David Miliband who was often described as the the leader that the Labour Party never had and should have had uh, he concurred with this 
but with odd timing because after the votes in the leadership 2016 election were already cast, he wrote an article in the New Statesman, which was reported by Sky News. Amidst this wrangling, the man often described as Labour's lost leader has written in the New Statesman why he thinks Jeremy Corbyn is unelectable. He says nationalisation cannot be the answer to everything. Anti-austerity speeches cannot explain everything. Corporate taxation cannot pay for everything. It doesn't add up. It wouldn't work. People are not stupid. Well, the timing of David Miliband's intervention is interesting. He can't influence the vote. The ballot's already closed. He must know that Jeremy Corbyn looks set to win. So all he can really achieve is add to this narrative that even though Jeremy Corbyn might win twice in two years, there are those in the party who will continue to fight against his leadership. And, in fact, he did win twice in two years because he won that time with 313,000. So he increased the vote and increased the percentage to 61%. So he was even more of a leader this time. And, uh, and incidentally, that was despite the fact that the Labour National Executive Committee discounted 130,000 new members that had joined simply to vote Corbyn in as leader again. So they kind of discounted that. So I'm begin- you know, at this point, I'm beginning to think there's a conspiracy going. Mm-hmm. So the, the problem with this unelectable thing just kind of, you know, reification of unelectable. The media, which is possibly another reification, followed the narrative. And in on the 25th of September 2016, Jonathan Pye, who's our favourite fictional journalist, summed it up in, in this clip. Here we go again. It's fucking Groundhog Day, isn't it? Jeremy Corbyn is elected Labour leader and I'm stood here saying, oh, it won't last long. What do you mean they can't win? What... what? Who, who decided he, he's unelectable? Who decided that? I'll tell you who, Tim, the media. We did. The, the same media that decided Owen Smith was a better choice for Labour leader. Apparently, being a Blairite is, still makes you electable, still is a vote winner. And this is what this is about. It's not about electability, it's about missing the good old days. The good old spin-doctoring, warmongering, bush filating Tory-imitating good old days. You know, the new Labour good old days. F- fuck integrity, fuck honesty, we just want power. That's quite interesting because I think actually it, within that little um, rant there, the good old days is another reification, which is also contained in when America was great and when Britannia ruled the waves. Yeah, in a in a sense, there it is an abstract. There's an this abstract concept that has been given these specific attributes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, there's an interesting kind of exception to this mm-hmm. fallacy or, or the problematic element of making abstract ideas con- yeah. concrete, uh, which is when everyone agrees to it. Aha, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is how you get things like kind of international borders, right? which are completely yeah. abstract and yeah. nonsense. You know, the, the, the land on one bit of the border is, the, you know, yeah. the same as if you just walk across yeah. the line. But because we all go... Yeah, all right, there's a border there, even though there isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone accepts it, and that's okay. It makes it a, a, not a problem, not oh, a fallacy. that's interesting, because I think that's possibly at the heart of the problem with the Northern Ireland Peace Agreement, which says that there there would be no border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, and that the fact that the Republic of Ireland is in the EU perforce 
means there will be a border between Northern Ireland, which is in the UK, and the UK <laughs> isn't in the EU, and yeah. the EU. And I think that at the basis of the argument that the the UK government who drew up the Northern Ireland Peace Agreement and drew up the agreement that there would be a hard border because of the EU, they are treating the Northern Ireland Peace Accord border as a fallacy, as a reification of something that doesn't exist, and they're laying that at the feet of the EU. Yeah, the island to Northern Ireland is absolutely a great example of a border Mm. that only exists because we all say yes it exists because yeah because since certainly the since the good country. friday agreement yeah. there's so yeah. many roads in in ireland republic yep. of ireland to northern ireland where there's absolute you wouldn't know basically unless you look no. there was a sign you know there's nothing there there's no border guard there's no there's no wall there's no yeah. there's nothing to tell you the difference between yeah. those two stretches that was, of that road. was the, the 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 nature the basis yeah. of the peace accord was there would be no yeah. hard border so there's there is there's just a notional border, and yeah, so and everybody agrees that until such time as the UK <laughs> withdrew from the EU, and then they're kind of going, well, we don't agree with that, and they go, well, wait a minute, yeah, so there we go, so and and I think that the um, Jonathan Pye goes on actually to kind of counter the reification fallacy by pointing out that not everybody agrees with this notion that Corbyn is unelectable. The media have spent the last 12 months telling people who voted for Jeremy Corbyn that they were wrong. How fucking entitled is that? Jeremy Corbyn is, is, is fighting the entire media class, and he just won. So instead of saying that he is unelectable, why don't Labour MPs use all their energies to prove that he is electable? Don't assume that the electorate is incapable of being persuaded or inspired. Have some faith that people can believe in something different or better. Who, who gets to decide if Jeremy Corbyn is electable? I'll tell you who, the electorate. Incidentally, when Theresa May called the general election in 2017, Corbyn achieved the largest gain in the general election by the Labour Party since 1945. I mean... Some of that was Corbyn. A lot of it was Theresa May being absolutely they, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, quite. Yeah, yeah. And I go and I'll go on to expound my theory further. Yeah. So my question is: Did it become a necessary self-fulfilling prophecy to get the Labour Party back to the good old days by losing the general election in two thousand nineteen? Very possibly. Don't know, but yeah, Theresa May won it for Corbyn in 2017 because <laughs> she was awful, and because of the, she tried to present the the basically the Brexit deal withdrawal agreement wasn't Brexity enough, and I'll go on to maintain that that in itself is a reification wasn't Brexity enough for the Tory Party, and that's why they didn't like it, and that's why they got rid of her. That's why they kind of went. Well, you know, fuck you. And she went, right, we'll have a general election. And everybody went, no, we've fucking had enough of you. And Corbyn, you know, increased the thing. And and at one point, and the number of seats in the House, there were 635 Conservative candidates in the House, 631 Labour candidates. So it it was really close. That was the point at which they should have all listened to um, Jonathan Pye got behind Corbyn and gone, right, let's maximise this, just keep going. But nah. So I think, yeah, so whilst Theresa May won it for Corbyn, 
what did for Labour in 2019 was Labour's indistinct stance on Brexit, I think. Yeah, definitely. And the, the Tories promised to get Brexit done, which I think contains two, possibly even three, ratifications. Brexit, done, and get. <laughs> like the, like they're things that exist concretely enough to be able to be applied to one another. I think it's hard to argue that Brexit is a reification only in as much as it, I'm not clear what attributes anyone has been consistently claiming Brexit would have. It's, it's remained a completely abstract concept. <laughs> yes, quite. But on, the, on that very basis, then the concretization of getting that done... <laughs> Is, I suppose, it's yeah. A rarefication. Claiming How do you it's, get... it's concrete enough it's a... to actually be able to do it. <laughs> to do <something laughs> yeah. that, that it could be done and that you could get the doing of it completed. <laughs> you, could, you could get that there this amorphous blob. Point, yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. yes, it's it kind of struck me to that, yeah. So, and in fact, um, so in, in his pre-December 2019 general election campaign, Boris said as much and added some more on day one of the new parliament in december we will start getting our new deal through so we get brexit done in january we take back control of our money so we can spend millions more uh, every week on the nhs or, or whatever priorities we want hundreds of millions we can take back control of our borders we can take back control of our laws so we can do things in our own way do things differently and better this country is aching to move on and let's unleash the potential of this country. So amongst the reification things, I think such things as control, money, <laughs> borders, laws, things better, differently, and which or there's another incomplete comparison. We can get th we can do things better and differently, better than what, different from what. And then this country is aching. It's the, the, the fact that the country... So is it like a tooth or an ardent lover and also unleash the potential? Like, potential is a thing that could be leashed. I think there's a there's an interesting mixture in there because I think some of them, like mm. the potent, unleash the potential and, and things like that, are, are clearly rhetorical. I yeah. think that there's some things in there, like money and borders, which are abstract things and laws, which yeah. are abstract things that we all agree have a meaning... Yeah. Um and I think the best example in there probably is control. The suggestion yeah. that taking back control and control was something that we didn't have like it was a thing that EU had yeah, taken yeah. from us or had yeah. and we wanted it. And it was just yeah. it was all that was always bullshit. It was always an abstract thing of of yeah. you know control over we always had control over our laws and things like that. What we didn't have was a centralised control because the question was always that was unasked was, well, who's taking back control? And it turns out it's our government. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, so they they want to be able to control the borders such that they can control immigration. They want to be able to control money such that they don't have to pay tax on offshore accounts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, so where are we now with this? With this getting Brexit done, we're two years on. Well, now we have a Minister for Brexit Opportunities, which I think is a verification too, if not an oxymoron. 
as there are <laughs> as if there are identifiable identifiable things called opportunities or benefits which are out there that we all agree on that aren't just movable figments of our imagination that get called opportunities or benefits in a kind of retrofit ergo propter hoc kind of way. So, if, for instance, and here's a good example. In answer to the then, I say the then Chief Secretary, this is the 31st of January, he may not be in office anymore. <laughs> in answer to the then Chief Secretary of the Treasury, Simon Clark, on 31st of January, LBC Talk Radio, Nick Ferrari points out the retrofitting. Well, I think that the, the biggest single benefit came in the form of the, the vaccination programme, where we were able to use our domestic regulation system to, uh, to act more quickly. Uh, in terms of both uh, procuring vaccines but also then getting them safely licensed for use than uh, the EU. So the highlight of all of that then, uh, Mr Clark, is the fact that 155,698 people sadly died in this country of COVID and that saved your Brexit deal, really, isn't it? Because without that, you wouldn't have much to point to. So I think that that, you know, this kind of the notion that there are Brexit benefits and we are unleashing the country's potential and taking back control sufficient to go find them is a reification of whatever they are. There's no agreement. I mean, yeah, we're back to the problem of, say, I think it's a reification because they're they're just abstract things. We've no idea what they are until somebody gathers them up and just puts them in the bag marked Brexit benefits. There's no agreement ahead of time so maybe that doesn't make it a reification as to what the benefits were. They're now scrabbling around to find them. Yeah, I think re- opportunities is a telling word to choose because yeah. what it just makes me think of is people saying, you know, a, a problem is just an opportunity, you know. If, yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah. And it's just another word. It's a word that people use when they want to make something shit sound... Yeah, better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that whole that whole TV show that was in the sixties and seventies, Opportunity Knocks, is a reification in itself, isn't it? Uh-huh, yeah. Opportunity isn't sufficiently. It doesn't have the. It doesn't have knuckles. The ability is <laughs> exactly. Or nowhere a door is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Quite. <laughs> Trying to save their job, their mistake, but with Boris, they're shafting us with the massive knob. These welfareers give me huge inconsistencies. These welfareers fuck up every logical thing. These welfareers. Give me huge inconsistencies. 
Sister Sledge there, of course, with their possible reification disco hit, We Are Family. I feel like you started high there <laughs> um, yeah. and went, no, fuck it, I'm sticking with this. <laughs> yeah, just going for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, then I, and then I discovered the pitch shifter. <laughs> yeah, which allowed me to bring it down a bit, but not until I'd sung it. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> So in the fallacy in the world, we like to talk about the fallacy of the week from a non-political perspective. And this week, our first example comes from the Mothman prophecies, which is a Ah. kind of 90s, no, 2000s, early 2000s kind of uh, Richard Gere horror. Not very good. Yeah, (laughs) it's got Richard Gere in it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, Well, he's done some good (laughs) stuff, but no, this wasn't one of them. And uh, this is fairly early on in the film. He's just found out that his wife got brain cancer. Not really a spoiler. <laughs> and he says this to his friend. Just like one day you're just driving along in your car and the universe just points at you and says, ah, there you are, a happy couple. I've been looking for you. So this idea that the universe has yeah. some form of agency and intent and, and like has it in for you, basically, in some way. Yeah. Um, it, this is similar to the the secret that bullshit idea that that you just kind of put your desires out into the cosmos and and the yeah. cosmos the universe will answer you will give you what you want yeah it's this is absolutely yeah. um reification it's 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 a it's giving this abstract thing this amorphous thing that we call everything <laughs> the name we basically the name <laughs> yeah. we have for all of the stuff. Yeah. The absence of nothing yeah. is actually a thing that can do stuff that can can yeah. um have an impact on your life. Yeah. It's kind of it's yeah it's it's again it it feels a bit like um antifa and science this this notion that you can you you gather all of the the whole of everything and then you go oh yeah you see that guy over there yeah <laughs> he he is the universe what uh-huh. the one that's pointing at us going oh, i can see you yeah. yeah yeah that's the universe that's what well, everything absolutely everything in existence <laughs> yeah yeah since the beginning of time this time round yeah 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 that one almost allows you to give up any personal responsibility you you kind of just go yeah. oh you see it's that it's them guys it's that thing yeah They're i mean doing. and and it's kind of interchangeable in a way with fate or destiny you and yep. Uh, yep. you know that kind of yep. stuff it's yeah it is it's yep. just saying that that these things are happening to you and it does it does stop you from taking responsibility or or just accepting that things happen things happen that's yeah. you know that's that's what time is it's just it's yeah. all it is is separating all the things that happen so they don't all happen at once <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's not to be held to blame <laughs> yeah. so our second example uh comes from the 1989 underwater horror film right? leviathan yeah. basically there's it's a kind of the thing underwater in a way there's there's a group of scientists and they they encounter a creature which appears to be the result of um, genetic experiments on, on humans. Somebody's been screwing around, Doc. Let's take a look at that hand. I mean, look at the size of it. If you were tampering with genetics, why stop with the base model? Why not try to alter the human form? Homo aquaticus, a man who could live underwater. 
Think of the possibilities. Regeneration. The ability to withstand extreme cold, pressure. I mean, just think of it. Undersea mining, underwater farming. So what's next, Doc? I mean, what if we run out of airplanes one day? What are we going to do? Just grow a whole bunch of bird people? Natura non confundenda est. Loosely translated. Don't fuck with Mother Nature. <laughs> so, yeah. As Richard Krenner yeah. says there, don't fuck with Mother Nature. Yeah. And this is a thing, again, in, in common in, in stories from Frankenstein and probably even before that, of don't play God, don't fuck with Mother Nature, because it will, nature, Mother Nature, will yeah. fuck you back, will will <laughs> cause you problems yeah. if you yeah. try and do that. that. We shouldn't go down the science corridor too much because that... that is it goes too far away from mother nature and mother nature knows best yeah. and and if you if you embrace science then that's not what mother nature intended yeah yeah absolutely there's a, there's a there's a mix with the um appeal to nature fantasy obviously yeah. but yeah this is suggesting that mother nature that nature as a whole has some a thang. has some yeah. intent has some plan in some way and yeah if you deviate from it if you mess with it if you if you try to do things that are against nature bad things will happen yep. to you um which ignores the fact that that we've been messing with nature basically yeah. since we invented agriculture or domesticated wolves <laughs> and tamed horses grew cows yeah yeah made orange carrots absolutely yeah yeah the yep. bananas that you have in your yeah. fruit bowl are a result of of centuries of messing with Mother Nature, yeah, um, through selective breeding and and Except the EU would make you have bent yeah, bananas, yeah, of course, yeah. It, yeah. We're just doing it in a different way now than than we have before, and the fact that we're doing it we're, that that nature is it doesn't suggest nature wouldn't be happy about it and will come and get yeah. us as as yeah. this film and many others seem many, to suggest. Many Every single bloody film, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, except for. Guillermo del Toro, who is also obsessed with underwater creatures, uh-huh. he kind of he 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 plies the other furrow, which actually the guys that want to mess with nature, and you know grab the the underwater freaky person, they're always the bad guys. A bit like ET, isn't it? You know, ET is the the wonderful world of um, outer space nature, mm-hmm. and the bad guys that want to mess with nature, they're bad because they want to mess with nature. Yeah. And they have jangly keys and you never see their faces. <laughs> yeah. So uh, our next example comes from uh, stand-up comedian Stephen Wright. This is from Yay. his excellent stand-up album, I Have a Pony. I have a map of the United States. It's actual size. <laughs> it says one mile equals one mile. <laughs> when people ask where I live, I say E5. <laughs> Last summer, I folded it. So good. <laughs> so this is basically kind of representing uh, an offshoot, a subset of this fallacy, uh, mm-hmm. which can be referred to, has been referred to as mistaking the map for the territory. Nice. What yeah. you do in this part of reification is turning the model that is a simplification of something yeah. into something more concrete, assuming it's a it's a a perfect version yep. of what you're talking yep. about or just just kind of arguing against the model rather than arguing against the thing itself so like the um 
Rutherford uh, model of the atom, the planetary model, mm -hmm. where you have the kind yep. of nucleus and then these electrons kind of whizzing around in orbit. That's not what an atom looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just a, a kind of useful idea of how the the kind of the parts of the atom are separated and, and stuff. And there are more detailed models which are more representative of what atoms look like. There's yep. Niels Bohr's model with the different heights of orbit, essentially, if yep. you want to talk about like that. There's a uh, electron cloud model where it's more kind of quantum physics based and there's a probability of where the electrons might be at any given time rather than specific positions and stuff but but each of these models are useful for different things for looking at it in different ways or for doing particular experiments rutherford's model is quite a simple one it's easy to understand it's 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 visual and interesting but if you if you wanted to argue about what atoms are actually like using that model as the thing you're arguing against wouldn't be a very good idea and maps by their nature because they're a lot smaller than the place yeah. they are mapped, <laughs> yeah, yeah, are necessarily simplified. Yeah. The only way you can get a map that is as detailed as the territory it is a map of is to make it one to one, like one -to -one, Stephen yeah. Wright's map. <laughs> well, this made me think of the um, the London Underground map, the tube map. Yeah, it's a great is, example. Yeah, because it's not that shape. The original picture of it wasn't the same shape as the certainly not the same size because you can fit it in your wallet, but it's not the same shape as uh, the way that the stations are laid out across London. It's just a convenient diagrammatic representation, which is quite memorable and recognisable, and you can kind of see where it all, where everything goes, and it's basically around north and south uh, and east and west. But there are that's why it's always surprising when people publish on the internet if the if the underground map was actually the, <laughs> where the the stations actually were, it would look like this. Yeah, and you th and you think, oh my god, that's completely unnavigable. Yeah, but it's a really but, useful, yeah, and an incredibly like brilliantly simple version. Mm. And it's it's useful specifically for navigating the tube network. It's yeah. if you tried to use it to walk between stations. Yeah. above ground exactly. it's terrible yeah when you yeah. work in central london or live in central london you, you you figure out pretty quickly that the relationship between the stations on the tube map bears very little resemblance to actually where they are yes, exactly. yeah. in, yeah, in yeah. reality so it's when you it's kind of when you pop up out of a tube station you go oh yeah. oh that's how all the streets oh, join up is right there yeah. Yeah. yeah oh it's right there yeah. Right. yeah yeah why do i go why did i go from common garden to hoban yeah <laughs> so yeah so that's a, that's yeah. a great example and and this thing of of kind of mistaking the model for the the thing itself mistaking the map for the territory an example i kind of toyed with talking about with trump was was mm -hmm. defund the police because the model right. for defunding the police the idea the concept is actually not what the name suggests the, the yeah. kind of the reality yeah. of it is is reducing funding for police uh, organisations and, and kind of police departments and, and putting that funding into more upstream things which will mm. prevent crime yeah. over time yeah. uh, or help, you know, people dealing, dealing with mental health issues or dealing with kind of, you know, uh, inner city youth clubs and things like that, things that will actually have an impact that will mean those police are not needed. But it's simplified 
to the phrase defund the police. Yeah. And the argument that comes often from the right and from Trump and people like that is defund the police means take money away from police. That's bad. So there will be no policing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're yeah. arguing against the model, the, the, the idea, the concept, without engaging with the reality of it, the actual territory of what would happen if we went down that route. It's similar to the the issue that Priti Patel constantly fights with, which is the you know, um, immigrants in small boats coming across the, the channel. The model is there are immigrants coming across the channel, but isn't it's our, our well-worn phrase, which we haven't used sometimes. It's a bit more complicated than that. You know, it is. A, <laughs> and that's yeah. the model that they use. Well, it's the whole, in my kind of researching um, this in British politics came across the, the notion of immigration. There's this, this kind of reification of immigration is a terrible thing, but would, but, but, you know, Mr. Patel who lives in the, who works in the corner shop. Yeah. We like him. And the guy that, you know, works down the, the building site and, you know, some of my best friends are immigrants kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Individuals are fine, but the notion of immigrants as a, thing is weaponized for political ends so people in small boats coming across the the ocean become baddies rather than the victims of wars that they're fleeing from traffickers that are promising them things that they can't deliver and exploiting them for money and endangering their lives that's a lot more nuanced and complicated than just saying, here's the immigrant problem, which gets Nigel Farage down there and saying, look, there are immigrants overrunning our our country. And they go, well, well, they're not doing yeah. any of that. It's just a, uh, it's a useful model that doesn't stand up to scrutiny in the real world. You can't, yes, you're, yes, you can't use the map for the territory. Exactly. So we're going we're gonna to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Yes, it's time for fake news, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. I'm feeling this week that the, the higher power is really looking out for me, and, and fundamentally, luck is going to be a lady tonight. <laughs> this week, yep. these examples come from a... Just at one of Trump's kind of calls to Fox and Friends. Oh, okay. He started doing that again. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. So this is this is a recent one. This is just from last week. Is that because he's got nothing to do, you think? Probably, yeah. I mean, it may also be that he's trying to kind of get his mind off some stuff that he's going through at the moment. Yeah, could be. <laughs> yeah, things that aren't working for him particularly. Things, yeah. yeah, not going that great. Yeah. But yeah, he, uh, he called Fox and Friends. Um, ostensibly, he spent some of the time talking about his book, his picture book that he's done, not not a, yeah. you know the one that yeah. that someone else took the photos and he wrote the captions for. It turned into a thing that where he was just just kind of going through the old things about how great he was as a president and how terrible Joe Biden is. Right. Uh, statement number one: Everyone knows it's not possible that Joe Biden, Sleepy Joe 
got that many votes. I had more votes than any other president ever, not even close. They said I needed 65 million. Very respected poll guy said I needed 65 million and I couldn't lose. I got 74 million. And really, I got a lot more than that. You just have to look at the crowds, the enthusiasm. We had crowds like nobody's ever seen going right back to the inauguration. Mm -hmm. Very respected poll guy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See, the problem was (laughs) Joe got more than 74. Yeah. That's the problem. It doesn't matter how many you get. The fact that you got more than you did before, more than the very respected poll guy said you needed to get, (laughs) other people voted for the other guy in greater numbers. Statement number two. Mm Mm-hmm. We were three weeks away from finishing the wall after going through two and a half years of lawsuits with the Democrats and winning them all. We were two and a half, three weeks away from, think of it, finishing the wall, which is largely, frankly, finished anyway. (laughs) It's a tremendous help. We had the best numbers in the history of our country on the southern border. Very little was coming in. Very few people were coming in other than coming in legally. Nice bit of accelerated truth there. Two and a half weeks, (laughs) three weeks away. Think of it, finishing the wall, which is finished anyway. Yeah, little was coming in. Other than those that were coming in. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And statement number three, uh, they view it as a romantic period, I think. <laughs> and I think that's why it's doing so well, because there's a lot of romance to the book. Despite all the vicious hoaxes and scams that they pulled and made up stories like Russia, 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 you know, you had the Muller, you had impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two. Despite all of that, they view it as a very glamorous time because our country was doing so well. Who's they? <laughs> Illiterate, blind people who weren't born then? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. Had all that. Okay. The made up stories. Mm hmm. Very glamorous. Glamorous? Right. Okay. Mm hmm. Okay. Well, I quite like a very respected poll guy. That sounds very Trump like. Okay, the the one that I think is a bit bit too Jim is the accelerated truth in number two. But then that could oh god. And then the list of things, vicious hoaxes and scams. Russia, Russia. Okay, I'm I think number number two is the one that you made up. Okay, and of the other two which you more convinced by? Uh, I think by the very respected poll guys, the so number one. Okay. Yeah. And number one. Yeah. Is. Yeah. Fake news. Oh, what? <laughs> That's excellent. Very respected poll guy. Poll guy. Got yeah, me. That was, that was Got me. me. That was the. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Nice. Very respected poll guy. Very respected poll guy. Said I need that, couldn't lose. I got more than that. Just have a look at the crowds. Oh, what? No, see, that's far too convincing. That's, yep. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, he's going to be, after the midterms, he's going to need a speech writer. (laughs) I think you could do it. You could do it. No, utterly convinced, that one. Bloody hell, haven't been, has not (laughs) happened for a long time. Where I've got, I've kind of binned one of them and they're going, that one I'm really convinced by. (laughs) Because that's the thing. See, yeah, that's the one I think you made up. Okay, which one are you convinced by then? And then that one turns out to be the fake one. That's, wow. That's very good. Oh, there you go. What? So, yeah, the, the um, three weeks away from oh, finishing no. the wall. No! So that accelerated truth that, is actually that is true. real. Oh, God. We were three weeks away from finishing the wall. 
after going through two and a half years of lawsuits with the Democrats and winning them all. We were two and a half, three weeks away from, think of it, finishing the wall, which is largely, frankly, finished anyway. It's a tremendous help. We had the best numbers in the history of our country on the southern border. Very little was coming in. Very few people were coming in other than coming in legally. See, I think you know, so that's a big enough, that's a gym-sized joke, that is, isn't it? <laughs> best numbers. We had the best numbers in the history of a country. About what? That's kind of unfinished uh, yeah, uncompleted the comparison. Best. Yeah, the best numbers, yeah. best numbers, like five. That's the best number, isn't it? <laughs> and very little was coming in. Very few people coming in, other than coming illegally. So that's that's a gym sized joke. But we realise that that's the structure of his speeches are kind of yeah. little jokes that he has no idea are funny. Yeah, that, that are joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously, it's all bullshit as well. I mean, oh yeah, no, absolutely. It goes without saying. <laughs> Three three weeks away, two and a half weeks away yep. from finishing the wall. Yeah, they they obviously four years he yep. was in. Yeah, they did four hundred and fifty miles of wall. Yeah, of which eighty miles was new wall. Mm. The rest was just replacing old fencing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's frankly it's finished. It's frankly finished. Yeah, you know, largely frankly so, finished. Anyway, I mean, at that rate, it would have taken, and I mean, another <laughs> 12, 15 years to well, finish. Three, at um, least three turns in office. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, to Steelbot him, right? A lot of that time might have been kind of you know figuring out what kind of wall to put up and stuff like that. So by the time they actually got to construction itself, it probably sped up. So maybe. Maybe only talking another two or three years, but yeah. two two and a half three weeks is possibly a little bit ambitious. And did they, and did they win all the lawsuits with the no, Democrats? They didn't no. really win all the lawsuits. No, um, the, Any the of Supreme them? Court. <laughs> I mean, not really. They well, let's say this at at the point where Biden became president yeah. in January twenty twenty one, the Supreme Court then kind of dismissed because it was now moot. Yeah. Um. A a pending suit about whether from basically Congress was suing, uh, based on Trump's appropriation of money from the military budget. Yeah. Yeah. Which was designed to combat drug trafficking and stuff like that. Um. And so he he kind of tried to take money from the military budget to to put into wall construction, and Congress said, "You can't do that. Yeah. You need." congressional approval through the appropriations process right. and uh and the supreme court were kind of scheduled to hear an appeal from trump because the lower courts had had said um he wasn't allowed to do it and congress were allowed to sue him about it uh supreme court was kind of waiting to hear biden got in halted construction of the wall yeah and at that point the supreme court well there's no point making us getting us to make a decision about this so right. the the suit was dropped essentially, so he didn't win it, but he had lost it. He'd lost it uh, in lower courts, and right. it didn't get decided by the Supreme Court. So, right. so he didn't. So when he says we won them all, yeah, we didn't, that's we definitely didn't, not true. Didn't win, <laughs> yeah, didn't, yeah, all or win neither of them yeah. applicable. Yeah. Also, part of the narrative of Biden's open borders yeah. has been. The enormous amount of drugs and people who are coming in illegally mm. over the borders. 
if Trump's wall worked as he claimed it would, yeah. and it was frankly largely finished, yeah, how are they getting in? <laughs> yeah, other than coming in legally. Yeah, yeah. Either uh, the best numbers, it wasn't finished, and there are large parts of the border that are completely unwalled, yeah, and and people are getting in that way in record yeah. numbers, or it was finished and the wall doesn't work. Or, yeah. it's finished, the yeah. wall works, and Biden hasn't been having an immigration problem. You can't have it both ways. No, can't have all of it. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, they kind of go, we were three weeks away from finishing the wall. So, if we'd only finished the wall, there would be no problem. And yet, we finished the wall, and we had the best numbers. Also, he's claiming that the, the, the best numbers that he yeah. had are because of the amount of wall he put up. Yeah. So... 80, so 80 miles of it. Biden hasn't taken any wall down. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. So, what's, so where are they going? They're going round the end of the wall. That's yeah. what it is, because yeah. it's not wide enough. It doesn't make it, no sense whatsoever. That's the problem. <laughs> no, there was a drama on the radio about Hadrian's Wall. Uh, it's kind of like a comedy. Not very good, but they... Uh, but the concept, the, bit, the funniest bit was, yeah, I'm going to build a wall that goes from coast to coast to stop people coming. In. And then, <laughs> then the the picked or the Scott just said, mm. well, let's just go around the end Get in a boat. boat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, and also uh, statement number three about his book and about people yeah. viewing his presidency as a romantic, glamorous oh, period. Is real. They viewed it as a romantic period, I think, and I think that's really why it's doing so well yeah. because there is a lot of romance to the book. It was, despite all of the vicious hoaxes and, and scams that they pulled and made up stories like Russia, 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 you know, you had the Mueller, you had impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two. Despite all of that, they view it as a very glamorous time because our country was doing so well. It's completely. In La La Land, isn't he? Yeah. Just utterly... Oh, yes, the, the glamorous first year of pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that romantic period when we look back to that romantic time of, yeah, of, of Trump advocating bleach and ultraviolet light <laughs> inside the body somehow. Whoa! You know, he's kind what? of... He's, I mean, he's up there with the Kennedys, really. What does like, he even mean that there's a lot of romance to the book? It's a book of pictures of yeah. stuff Trump did at, in the White House with captions that he's written. That say, here like, are some trees. This is me with yeah. Nancy Pelosi. This is, this is me room. I put some in the Lincoln bedroom. In here. No, who's they? Who are these? It's just utterly made up. Why do they continue to well, give their time? That they might be some of the... The 300,000 people who he claims right. have bought his book right. at a yep. cost of around $80 wow. for an unsigned copy and, a, and I think $230 wow. for a signed copy. Or the 300,000 so, copies that he's sold out of various funds that people have given him in yeah. good faith that he's just then bought his way onto the bestsellers list. Yeah. And mm. again, he's this is money that he's making for himself yeah. obviously from a, a a book made up entirely of public domain photos yeah <laughs> that he didn't yeah. take yeah yeah and he's put them in a it's it's like one of those where they're kind of a cross between self-published books and those photo books that you can do 
mm-hmm. where you just gather all your photos from your holiday and you put little captions underneath that mean nothing to anybody except you and the people <laughs> yeah. that were in them. And then you published it or you yeah. you put it out there and it's available on Google Prints or whatever. And you try and convince other people to buy it. And you think nobody is going to want to buy that because A, I'm not interested. B, I've seen all the photos. <laughs> and and They're literally all available on the web. Exactly. Instagram yeah. feed. <laughs> yeah. They're not non-fungible tokens, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. Do you see, and the thing was, I knew that that one was real. <laughs> That's the thing. It was just, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> so, unfortunately... Uh, oh, that no. means that you didn't get that right. And now you're back <gasps> down to 50%, <gasps> oh, 42 man. out of 84. God uh, damn it. So so you better get the next one right, otherwise you're slipping down below 50%. Again. Yeah. Not kind of a lady tonight was luck. <laughs> no. See, never been a lady to begin with. So it's time for the part of the show that this week at least is called Spying is Not a Logical Fallacy because uh, John Durham, the... She's <laughs> so bloody twisted and... Yeah. And, oh, my God. Yeah. 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 So John Durham, um, who was kind of hired basically to find evidence against Hillary Clinton in some way, yeah. Um, he made a filing... Uh, last week, yeah. which was not an indictment, um, didn't allege or include any criminal activity whatsoever, yeah. um, didn't say all the things that the right wing decided it said, <laughs> yeah. uh, but triggered an enormous um, outcry on the right that Trump was absolutely, definitely right and mm-hmm. and justified when he claimed that the Clinton campaign had been spying on his on campaign. Him. Yeah, yeah. Him specifically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a uh, little bit of background. Yeah. Uh, Durham, in September of last year, uh, brought an indictment against a lawyer called Michael Sussman, a, a former prosecutor, a, a former Clinton campaign lawyer, um, for lying to the FBI in a um, in a kind of interrogation, I guess, in a, in right. a um, deposition. And um, the lie that he supposedly told was that uh, at the time when he was uh, being interviewed, he wasn't, uh, he didn't have any clients, basically. He wasn't working on behalf of any clients. Right. Um, so he, whereas said, in he fact, said he, he wasn't, but he was. Yeah, he said he wasn't. Yep. Yep. Whereas in fact, he was a lawyer for the Clinton campaign yep. and uh, possibly other clients as well. Um this was in a, in a uh, meeting with FBI agent uh, Jim Baker, um, and Baker has subsequently testified to Congress that he doesn't remember what uh, Sussman said about whether he had any clients in the meeting. He was the only person in the meeting with Sussman. There were no notes taken at the time, and the meeting right. wasn't recorded. Right. So it's almost entirely on... John Durham's uh, kind of word that, yeah, yeah. that Sussman has been indicted uh, for uh, 1001 lying to the FBI, basically. Right. And subsequent to this filing, mm-hmm. Sussman now obviously has lawyers. Uh, he 
chose a huge law firm called Latham and Watkins, like the second biggest law firm, I think, in the world, certainly in the US. They have about 3,000 lawyers. And the filing that Durham made late Friday night last week Mm -hmm. was quite weirdly called a, a motion to inquire about conflict of interest. Right. A motion to inquire isn't really a thing. Right. right. <laughs> Basically, if you think that your opponent's lawyer or the defendant's lawyer has a conflict of interest, yeah. you typically look into it. If they do, you file a motion to disqualify them as counsel. For because having a conflict of interest. For having yeah. a conflict of interest. Yeah. That would be um, Yeah. So what what Durham filed instead right. was uh, he decided he he basically discovered that Latham and Watkins, this huge three thousand lawyer firm, mm-hmm. as a firm, other lawyers in the firm had uh, represented people during the Mueller investigation. Right, they represented Perkins Coie, which is a la- another large law firm who has also done work for Clinton, um, and and another individual. So there's kind of he's making the argument that because the same company had lawyers who worked for people who were involved in the Mueller probe right? and other lawyers who weren't involved in that at all are now lawyers for Sussman they may uh, by being uh, part of the same firm have right. some kind of knowledge of the other side or of stuff that was going on okay. with the FBI at the time or it's it's there's nothing there basically right and, and so so he's fi- the filing is asking whether he can look into it essentially yeah he's asking kind of asking the court to look into it he's right. asking the court to decide whether there is a conflict of interest right so he's kind of going there's a bit of smoke there yeah he's I absolutely probably saying lots of fire. this looks odd yeah yeah <laughs> um but the way he's done it is this kind of 13 page filing which is kind of like a, it's a it's like a narrative that he's told about the the stuff that is uh um, Sussman did and and stuff like that. Right. It includes some claims about about thing. Sussman went to the FBI mm-hmm. originally in in I think 2017 with information about communications between potentially at least the White House and the and Russia and a, a right. Russian bank called Alpha Bank. Right. Which was a reasonable thing to. To do just to if and, and not illegal in any way. Yeah, the information came from a, a technology company who were employed to work within the executive office of the president, the White in in the White House, mm-hmm. and monitor their kind of uh, you know potential if if people had been trying to hack into their systems and things like right. that. Yeah, so they were monitoring essentially DNS lookups, yep. uh, which isn't communication between people yeah it's it's kind of digital handshakes between computers right. oh, yeah. and yeah 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 you don't know what what information people are getting through those or looking up or what websites they're going to or anything like that it's yeah. just about just whether there were link connections between yeah yeah yeah. yeah 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 and so the company that was monitoring this activity ostensibly looking you know in case people were hacking into the office mm-hmm. of the president and things like that were, um that information was information they were entitled to have. Right. Um, and in doing that, they found potentially 
um, problematic data that that was connected to Russia. They, uh, through Sussman, then gave that data to the FBI. Right. Yep. So, so that's essentially what what Durham said in this, um, but was very vague about right. The, right. the kind of allegations that he was making. Yeah. Um. The the he's got a history of being vague. His his original indictment mm-hmm. of Sussman in September. Um, was so vague about what lie he had told to the FBI yeah. that um, the kind of Sussman's counsel then filed um, a, a kind of specific motion. I think it's called a, a motion for particulars or something like something like that. That right. is basically saying, "Huh? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's the kind <laughs> of me what you know. Of yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah." Um, where they, what they were doing was asking for for more information so they could even start to try and defend yeah. the thing that their yeah. client was accused of because they didn't have an you know it yeah. wasn't detailed. What enough. what is it you're accusing yeah. me of? Yeah. Most, so he has a yeah. bit of a history of kind of filing these these kind of vague smoke filled filings, and yeah. essentially what happened next was an accelerated truth thing. Mm-hmm where it went from this very vague set of data, which was a lot of which was already known. It was certainly known by, by a lot of the people who were kind of involved in in the situation. Right. Um, uh, a lot of the people who ended up commenting on it. Ultimately, one of the things that kind of spoiler didn't come out and wasn't at least acknowledged by Durham's side until later was that this happened when Obama was president. Oh, this didn't oh, right. happen... When? Under Trump, it was right. the the firm was hired. They gathered all this data while Obama was in the the Oval Office. Right. It it kind of bled into Trump's time when when he became president. So there was still some data collected after Obama left office. Right. Um. Of of these kind of DNS lookups and this this kind of information. Yeah. But the suggestion that that was then made by the right wing. Yeah. Was. Yeah. You know, it was first of all Clinton's campaign paid for people to spy on Trump, <laughs> which huh? right. she right. she she didn't pay it for it. It wasn't spying, and they weren't doing it to Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yes, it's a bit like the 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 Italian job remake, which was neither in Italy nor was there a job involved. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, so the first of all. Uh, the the kind of first one of the first responses to this filing was from a reporter from the Epoch Times, Hans Manker, I think, uh, who said, "Holy moly, new Durham filing! Rodney Joffe and his buddies at Georgia Tech monitored Trump's internet traffic while he was president of the United States." That bit's technically kind of true. Yeah, they they didn't monitor the internet traffic as such, but they did gather data and. Part of the data they gathered was at the very beginning of Trump's presidency. Right. The following morning, a Twitter account called Technofog mm-hmm. uh, tweeted, Rodney Joffe et al. DNC slash Perkins Coie allies exploited a sensitive US government arrangement to gather intel on the executive office of the president of the US. They spied on Trump. So again... Their their sensitive U.S. government arrangement was the fact they'd been hired specifically to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why why was that 
sensitive and people knew that they'd done it so it wasn't yeah. that sensitive you they know, found I, a thing that could possibly be criminal and alerted the criminal authorities about it <laughs> and said we might we think this might be criminal there's people hacking the system yeah there's people going to places where they ought not to be going we think that might be criminal yeah yeah um, about half an hour later, 11 a.m., right. the House yeah. Judiciary GOP account tweeted, uh, we knew they spied, but it was worse than we thought. <laughs> what? And then by the afternoon, a conservative website, Red State, posted an article titled, John Durham drops a shock and awe filing about spying on Donald Trump. <laughs> then Mark yeah. Meadows tweeted... They didn't just spy on Donald Trump campaign. They spied on Donald Trump as sitting president of the United States. It's all even worse than we thought. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you can then, hear it accelerating. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, Cash Patel uh, issued a statement via Twitter that said the Hillary Clinton campaign and her lawyers. Again, mm-hmm. the, this is the first what? that huh? there's anything yeah. to do with Hillary. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Masterminded the most intricate and coordinated conspiracy against Trump when he was both a candidate and later president of the United States. The lawyers wow. worked to infiltrate Trump Tower and White House servers. So, what? Yeah. Uh-huh. So Trump Tower has been thrown in there all of a sudden. Yeah, the yeah. Suddenly, has been thrown in yeah. there. Yeah. And the word infiltrate. Yeah. Uh, which and the word infiltrate was then picked up by Fox News and repeated. <laughs> Many times, as if it was part of Durham's original filing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which it wasn't at any point. Nope. Um, so by by the afternoon, Trump issued a statement yeah. saying, the latest pleading from special counsel Robert Durham, that's not his name, it's John Durham, <laughs> Robert <laughs> provides yeah. indisputable evidence that my campaign and presidency were spied on by operatives paid by the Hillary Clinton campaign in an effort to develop a completely fabricated connection to Russia. Wow. Which it absolutely doesn't provide any of that no, evidence at all. No. It doesn't even imply any of that stuff. He, he wow. went on to say, in a stronger period of time in our country, this crime would have been punishable by death. <laughs> what? Yeah. Stronger period of time. So not only is he claiming there's a crime which hasn't been Committed. if there was a crime, yeah. Durham has the ability to indict people for crimes. Yeah. Um, if if anyone had done anything against the law, he wouldn't have just put this in a filing for a motion to inquire about. Yeah. I think I'd quite like to ask some questions about this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, This crime was punishable by death. What the fuck? (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I've just looked up in the filing. I've just done a search for infiltrate. (laughs) No. no, Yeah, infiltrate doesn't exist in the filing. The the filing that alleges this conflict of interest doesn't mention (laughs) any of... Michael Sussman's lawyers either they um no. they don't come up in in this no. filing saying Sussman's lawyers might have a conflict of interest they're not mentioned in that no. so uh, that's yeah wow. that's weird wow so yeah this it it became this huge thing this huge story where all of the claims that Trump had ever made about the Clinton campaign who by the way no longer existed by yeah. this point. <laughs> yeah. The Clinton yeah. campaign stopped when she didn't get when elected didn't in get, 2016. Did. Yeah. Why would <laughs> they therefore pay lawyers to spy on Trump? Yeah. 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 
yeah, and and obviously Fox News took it and run with it, and and then mm. and it also made up their own stuff. So by that evening, Tucker Carlson yeah. said the filing says they intercepted internet traffic, which it doesn't really. It talks about DNS records particularly, and yep. and then he says that is emails, presumably text messages. Okay. No. No. <laughs> presumably you can text do what you like. I don't think not. text mes- text messages aren't internet traffic anyway. No. <laughs> Don't let a few few facts get in his way. Yeah. <laughs> Sean yeah. Hannity claimed that the Clinton campaign hacked into Trump's campaign server um, and the office of, office of the president and stole material, according to the filing, which is not what the filing not, says no, at all. No, nothing in there. <laughs> um, Fo- so good. Fox News's website had a an article where the, the headline was Clinton campaign paid to infiltrate Trump Tower White House servers to link Trump to Russia. Durham finds, which he did not find did at not, all. None no, of that. Not find. Not found any of that. No, that's it's not in the file. <laughs> and he doesn't. And actually, if the fi- if anything, you read the filing, it doesn't expect to find anything like that at not all. Not at all. It, no, it's based because if it did, it wouldn't be an inquiry. You know, a motion to inquire. It's going, I just well, I think you should look into. This conflict of interest here, this possible conflict of interest, because this company employed lawyers who are now working <laughs> on something else. Yeah, that, that is all. That's it. it. That's all. That's all they're doing. Yeah. And it, wow! And, and later that week, Durham basically issued a statement that said something like. Yeah, some media sources have overblown the claims. It's not my fault. I didn't do anything. Um, right. You know, yeah. if, if if journalists can't be trusted to do their own work, then you know that's that's up to them. Um, so he kind of really was distancing him. So he was a kind of saying, you know, the stuff that's been claimed since isn't true, but without yeah without they, saying it and without stuff's been claimed and, to, and yeah kind of taking pains to claim it was nothing to do with him if people wanted to believe this stuff. Yes, exactly. Which so it doesn't do anything to not fan the flames. Yeah, he kind of in in the first bit, he's just kind of he's done a you know a, a right wing shock jock thing by together. I think these questions should be asked. Yeah, it's what his filing is, and that's and now he's saying, I'm just asking questions. <laughs> you know, it's not my fault that people are making these drawing these conclusions when he, what he should be saying is I didn't say any of that <laughs> yeah. it's all made up because you've all got an agenda and that's nothing to do with what's in the filing but no he's just kind of he's he's doing the plausible deniability thing isn't he he's just going yeah well you know if you want to find those things in there that's not what I wrote no, he doesn't even say that. It's just, it's just not my fault that you're finding these things in there. Yeah. What the, and I mean, you can't it, do your it, research. It, yeah. it is. It's yeah, yeah, because, it is. Because it's he so put some funny. of that stuff yes. in there yeah. so that yeah. it would do exactly cause a kind that. Of, yeah, yeah, it would cause yeah. a... I mean, it, none of it needed to be... First of all, he didn't need to make this filing at all. He, what he needed to do was contact Latham and Watkins and say... Are any of the lawyers, are any any of your staff members who were working on that thing now working, now working on, this, on thing? this thing? Yeah, um, and they would go, no, of course not. We understand conflict of interest. <laughs> we're yeah. quite a big yeah. law firm. Yeah, but he didn't do that. He didn't contact them. Uh, instead, he he filed this bullshit filing, which isn't even a real kind of motion that people make. 
Yeah. And and kind of implied some stuff in vague terms in the filing so that people yeah. would so it, make a, inferences it, it, that weren't there. What it is is a 13-page um, QAnon drop, isn't it? It's that yeah, yeah. Of, remember them? Yeah. It's that <laughs> kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a huge thing with a whole bunch of hooey. Well, you might as well have just filed a thing that just said coincidence. Yeah, absolutely. And, and left it at that. And that's, and that's all you, that's actually all you need to set the right wing media aflame. Yeah. It's just to make some things that they will then think typical <laughs> and, and then fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. So he's done that. Yeah. As a, so is, is there a way of striking these people off <laughs> like like a badly disbarring performing? Them, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it's 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 in the process of happening to people like Sidney Powell, but I don't think mm. this isn't sufficiently problematic to, for the court to take an action yeah, against. Yeah. I mean, at, uh, at best, it's, it's, Durham, it's poor, poor form. It's bad something. It's bad and poor and inflammatory. Yeah. He's a bad law talking guy. Yeah, but yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Filing a non-motion full of non-things in order to get a result for what purpose? I mean, the uh, the result essentially will almost certainly be the court will dismiss this motion. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because because okay. they'll no. just say they'll just ring up the lawyers and go, "Have you got any?" Well, they won't. Yeah, they won't. The they won't lot. look into yeah. it. They'll go, "No." If you think there's a conflict of interest, look into it and then yeah. file a motion to disqualify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do and, it properly, and, uh, and and of course, Fox will report in full on the fact that he hasn't found anything. Oh yeah, when he was told by the court to look into it, they'll, and he found nothing. Yeah, they'll, They'll fully retract all of the claims that they yeah, made. Yeah, 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 and take down all of the headlines and the, and the ticker tape, everything. Yeah, they'll go, all of that stuff we said is all wrong. Well, if they did that, they would spend all their time doing that. Yeah. That's the problem with it. Yeah, we have to go on 24 hours. The, the second 12 <laughs> hours every day to be honest, is to say that the they'd first get 12 so hours much wrong written. while they were correcting themselves <laughs> that they then have to correct the correction. They have to keep yeah. going. It's just yeah. an endless loop. It's like Borges's infinite library. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Fractal wrongness and infinite library all in one go. <laughs> and finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. Well, we finally know why Trump thinks you need to flush a toilet so many times to get it to work. And it's because he's been shoving evidence down there. According to a new book by New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman, White House staff periodically found Trump's toilet clogged with bits of torn up paper. Trump has, of course, denied the allegation, going with the totally plausible, there would be no way of her knowing if it were the fact. There would be no way of her understanding that or knowing it. To be honest, I think he's missed a trick here. If he claimed that Steve Bannon told him that was the best way to send his documents to the National Archives to comply with the Presidential Records Act, I think everyone would believe he's stupid enough to fall for that. After all, he was stupid enough to take 15 boxes of documents back to Mar-a-Lago, and we've learned now that some of those were clearly marked as classified and even top secret. But, you know, at least you guys didn't elect a president who had used their own personal email server for some work emails. Could have been so much work. (laughs) Trump's all set to make America great again again by making Americans even more broke again. 
doubtless ringing to the tune of Let's Grift Again like we did last summer. Trump's Make America Great Again pack cash registers have been helpfully spending $37,541.67 in each of the 10 months last year renting office space at Trump Tower. Yeah, but he needs office space to run his possible new campaign. Right, but that's all done in Florida. The so-called office space in Trump Tower is empty. He's paying himself, people, and the total $375,417 is more than the $350,500 that his Save America committee donated last year to Republican candidates running for office. You know, the reason that the fundraising arms of Save America and Make America Great was set up. Not being campaign funds, they, of course, have no rules on how the money is spent, so that's fine by Trump. There's no signs up anywhere, being his justification for doing what the fuck he likes with it. And yes, of course, he's still one of you blue-collar workers, has only you in his thoughts and in his heart, and of course, he's not just bleeding you dry to ward off his latest in a line of fiscal meltdowns, which, of course, thankfully, are lining up to be seen in court. Noah Bookbinder, the president of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, said that although Trump is still using his position to funnel donors' money to himself, there's no law that says you can't use this as a scam to enrich yourself. He's allowed to do this. It's sleazy, but it's legal. Now there's a campaign slogan. (laughs) Valentine's Day can be a tough holiday for some. And there tends to be a bit of a bump in breakups around that time, maybe because people feel they're faking the romance or decide they want something more. This year, Trump's accountancy firm Mazars announced that they were splitting up with Trump and that the Trump organisation should inform their lenders and insurers that they should no longer rely on the last 10 years of financial statements pertaining to the Trump organisation. Part of the reason for the split, according to the Mazars letter, was the January 18th filing by New York Attorney General Letitia James, detailing Trump's inconsistent valuations of various assets. While Trump was having a bad week, Letitia James was having a very good week, and on Thursday a judge ruled that she would be able to depose Trump, Don Jr and Ivanka under oath in her civil investigation of the Trump organisation. And here's the really fun part. In a civil case, pleading the fifth can be used against you in court. Yay! <laughs> In a demonstration of how the Republicans are gentle, low-key, sensitive folk, Arizona Republican Senate candidate Tim LeMond's latest campaign ad is both, uh, no, I mean neither, nuanced and aware. The ad <clears throat> quietly ran at the Super Bowl and featured good old Sheriff Jim squaring up against the incoming posse of Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden and Mark Kelly in an old-fashioned gunfight in an appeal to no doubt the gun-toting Western-loving voting base. While Jim doesn't really cut a John Wayne figure, nor Gene Wilder in blazing saddles even, his playing at Cowboys shows yet again the right can't do humour. Mark Kelly's wife, former representative Gabby Giffords, was actually shot in the actual head and critically injured in a 2011 mass shooting in Tucson. Yep, the self-same state. And that also killed six people and injured many others. Of course, it's a dead cat tactic on the part of the Republican candidate who can then bleat about snowflakes and wokes objecting on the basis that left-wing snowflakes can't stand the fact that for once Arizona will have a senator who will shoot straight with them and stop cowering to Biden. Yeah, two things. A, is anyone actually cowering to Joe? And B, if he's taking out ads at the Super Bowl and his campaign has raised only 600000 from individual donors... He's going to run out of money, isn't he? 
whilst the right will love him for his uncompromising, read inhumane stance, no amount of dressing up as Woody is going to make him our favourite deputy. The LA Rams won a close victory at Super Bowl 56 and the game, the ads and the halftime show were all just as much fun as usual. Unless, of course, you're a Republican. In which case, the fact that the performers in the halftime show were Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige, Eminem, 50 Cent, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg was a racist, amoral display of criminals and it's all just noise and you can't even tell what they're saying or something like that. Massive-headed 27-year-old senior citizen Charlie Kirk tweeted, The NFL is now the league of sexual anarchy. Which, if you're going to join a league, sounds like a pretty cool one. Yep. Honestly, it made no sense. I watched the halftime show twice, specifically looking for some sexual anarchy. I couldn't find any. Presumably, Charlie Kirk prefers celibate authoritarianism. I say presumably, he definitely would, no question. Meanwhile, Rudy Giuliani had a problem with Eminem taking a knee at the end of Lose Yourself, and many other right-wing commentators forgot Eminem was there at all, since they tweeted that it was racist to have a halftime show without a single white person in it. Finally, after the New York Post published a picture of Snoop Dogg smoking weed before going on stage, everyone had to do their best Claude Rains impression and insist they were shocked, shocked, that of all people, Snoop Dogg would smoke weed. Well, we at Fallacious Towers can't wait to get on Truth Social, Trump's Twitter knockoff, but it looks like we might have to. Like us, the Daily Beast can't wait, but I've got to. On launch night yesterday, the app download kept giving them something went wrong, please try again messages. And then, because the app was simply so popular, due to massive demand, we have placed you on our wait list. At one point, Daily Beast reported that they were 96,427th place in line on Monday morning. Other users reported queue positions as high as 160,000. Now that's some customer services hassle right there. On Sunday, Devin Nunes, the former Republican congressman turned CEO of Trump Media and Technology Group, said that he hopes the new app will be fully operational by the end of March, which might give them time to find a new logo. Many people on actual Twitter having pointed out that the Truth Social T logo is exactly the same as UK transport firm Trailers T logo. They are consulting lawyers about the truth involved in intellectual property rights. And how much truth can Trump's system actually handle? Despite being billed as a venture to stand up to the tyranny of big tech, Trump's new platform will utilise AI sensors to police its content. The Fox Business Network, no less, reported in January that Truth had enlisted a San Francisco-based Series D startup that provides automated solutions through cloud-based artificial intelligence for understanding images, videos and text content. Just in case people put unflattering pictures of Donny up there, perhaps. Not that that's our intention, of course. You've probably heard that a bunch of anti-vax truck drivers have been blocking roads in Ottawa for a couple of weeks now, and since they're science deniers and massive assholes, they have had the full support of the American right wing. Foghorn with a moustache Mike Lindell announced that as a show of support, he would ship 12,000 MyPillows to the truckers, which seems a bit cruel to me as they've probably already uncomfortable enough in their trucks without having to sleep on a MyPillow. Luckily for them, the shipment has been indefinitely delayed due to the fact that Lindell was turned back at the Canadian border because he's unvaccinated. (laughs) Lindell told the Daily Beast that he would get around this by using a helicopter to airdrop the pillows with little parachutes into the protest zone, but has since claimed that was a joke, probably because someone told him what happens when aircraft fly over international borders without authorisation. 
Well, it's kind of a half-term holiday for the British government in that they don't have to come into the House and are supposed to be spending time in their constituencies. So that's a bit less troubling on the eyes, ears and psyche, you'd think. But no, determined to prove how popular he is and how right he is to be the one entrusted with getting things done for the country, Boris has distracted us from the fact that he is under investigation by the actual police because Partygate by ending all restrictions for COVID, including isolating if positive and even bothering to have a test at all. Yippee! Now we won't know if any new variant arrives, so we'll be just as unprepared as we were in March 2020. Oh, and if that's not enough, he's been upping the warmongering rhetoric vis-a-vis Putin and Ukraine with the Defence Secretary saying, well, you can't trust anything their Defence Department says. Yep, takes one to no one. The Foreign Secretary Liz Truss has been bolstering her gravitar-ha-ha-ha-has as a likely Tory leader by dressing up as a Russian and pretending to be Margaret Thatcher. Not to be outdone by Liz riding a tank, an RAF fighter jet was flown 330 miles just so Boris could sit in it and make brum-brum noises. When your country is being run by cosplay politicians, is it any wonder we're not allowed to be amongst the grown-ups in Europe or the World Health Organization? But don't worry populism will defeat the enemies of Russia and Covid. I mean just look at Trump. Uh, oh, So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this week. You'll find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Or simply tell one other person in person about how much they'd like our podcast. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump, just like our strawman level patrons Steve Bickle, Schmutz, Mark Reiki and Amber R. Buchanan, and our true Scotsman level patrons Kaz Tui, Andrew Houck, Max Beaver, and our top patron Lauren. Thanks very much, everyone. We really do appreciate your support. You can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallaciousTrump. All music is by The Outbursts and was used with permission... So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. Bye.